ulterior. If it is early in the week right now and you are listening to this recording, that would mean that I accomplished what I set out to do, which was get this episode up much earlier than I normally do. That like Wednesday, Thursday period that I usually linger around. Yeah, that can't happen this week because there is so much going on consuming my life and just consuming the scene altogether. Um, what I said a few weeks back where like I made a remark about Pierce DeVale wanting to steal my spotlight when they released Pass Nirvana. Well, they're doing it again because I'm seeing them on Wednesday with I Prevail and Fit for a King and yours truly. So I need to give my attention to that and be ready with everything podcast related by the time that show happens. And then other bands like fucking Paramore and Thousand Below are doing everything they can to stop the kid from winning. That's fucking crazy. But, you know, it'd be what it be. I got that dog in me. I'm going to go ahead with this episode and just try and do the best that I can in explaining why a lot of the songs and records for this week's uh, episode mean the world to me because this might be like the most heartfelt week of releases that I've ever covered and it's it's gonna be a big deal it's gonna be crazy so uh let's move forward with all this brand new singles this week from Slowly Slowly, Lorna Shore, Sigma Sirens, Gatherers and a few others I want to get to and then brand new records generational records at that by Maggie Lindemann, Loveless, and The Devil Wears Prada. Thanks everybody. Enjoy this episode. Even, like, putting aside scene music for this week, like, so much has happened. Um, the GTA 6 leak, like, I couldn't fucking believe what had happened. And so, just seeing the images and the videos, like, that was really fucking startling. And then thinking about, like, what the leak actually means and the fact that the source code was involved with all this, like, this is bad. Like, real, 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 real fucking bad. And I... Definitely feel for everybody at Rockstar who, you know, is going to have their work be impacted because of this and the inevitable delay for GTA 6. Um, yeah, it, it really, really sucks. It's, it's a dire situation. All that's out of my hands, though, but what is in my hands is the ability to get across all of these new singles and records to you guys and explain why this is really, really important to me. Uh, I'm starting off with the highest rated single for myself last week. It is the brand new song by Slowly Slowly called Long Shot. This is following up on Daisy Chain, which was the title track for the forthcoming album on November 4th. And I remember when I reviewed that single back at the start of July, I think it was, I referred to it as a summer song. It had like that kind of a vibrant flair to it. And in a lot of ways, I would say Long Shot does as well. But there was just something about this track. And maybe it's more of a mental thing rather than something sonically that I can point out. But there's just something about Long Shot 
that really identifies it for myself as like a fall song. Like I can easily picture myself walking outside and there being like a breeze in the air and the leaves are doing their thing and like Halloween and Thanksgiving are not far away and just enjoying this song and everything that it brings to me. I love the alternative rock, indie rock, whatever you want to call it, energy that is happening here. The chorus is like so catchy. I really love how in like the second portion of it, vocally, it really lingers on that hook of it's a long shot. It's a long shot. It's just something that like really, really speaks to me. And it's the exact kind of song that I want to have in my rotation going into the fall season this week. And like, this is everything to me right now. Uh, long shot is fucking incredible. I think slowly, slowly are having like a banner run in the lead up to Daisy chain. And this is going to be something remarkable on November 4th. So for their upcoming record on October 14th, uh, pain remains is the name of it. Lauren ashore are doing a thing. Well, they're doing a lot of things, but there is one thing in particular that they're doing that I'm going to try and break down right now. And I mention all of this because of the new single that they just released. It is called Pain Remains One Dancing Like Flames. So when I say that they're doing a thing, what I'm saying is that their closing stretch on that record, Pain Remains, is going to be a three-part song, and it's divided into the sections, Dancing Like Flames, After All I've Done, I'll Disappear, and then In a Sea of Fire. I believe if you combine all three of those tracks, the runtime for the title track, Pain Remains, is like 19 minutes or 20 minutes. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I guess I probably have to hear the other two parts of Pain Remains to like really have a general opinion on what they're doing for that closing stretch, but it, it, it's um it's just me being a little bitch in all honesty because I don't really like long songs, I don't really like long concepts or anything like that. But um, Lorna Shore, if there's any band out there that's gonna like win me over on that kind of an idea, it probably is Lorna Shore. Um, so some of the things I saw online about Dancing Like Flames were the emotion that is carried in this song and how Lorna Shorecraft did what is basically like a deathcore ballad. And I don't know if I would actually say deathcore ballad, but I do agree. Like the level of emotion that is being implemented here, not just like through the instrumentation, but also lyrically and vocally by Will Ramos, it is pretty fucking remarkable. Um, just kind of like, you know, go through like what is really happening lyrically here with Dancing Like Flames. Um, there's a section later on where Will is kind of just like, um, he carries like this pain within his voice that is unlike anything I've heard from him before. A wrinkle in time, take what is left of my life before you go show me what it's like to finally know the face behind the silhouette in this world I made to be infinite, but within the expanse, I finally see a world without you isn't meant for me. This is fucking deep. There's some really, really cool shit happening here. Um, to me, Lorna Shore is like really, really on a fucking run right now, the run of a lifetime for a deathcore band. And I am still very excited for Pain Remains. Um, maybe with each Lorna Shore release, I'm kind of starting to understand like, um, 
actually i'm going to save that for the review of the record once it's out because i feel like uh what i need to say goes more in uh in alignment with a full rundown of the album and i obviously do not have that yet so let's wait for another month pain remains by loner shore this uh incarnation of that three-part closer very 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 good um, I don't know if I had said this. If I did, I apologize for reiterating, but that Lorna Shore record is dropping October 14th, aka inevitably one of the worst fucking days of my life for this podcast, considering just how much material is coming out that day. One of the bands being Sleeping with Sirens, they got the album complete collapse on that day, and they just dropped the title track for it as a single. To me, the way that Complete Collapse is shaping as of right now, this feels like Sibirian Sirens kind of remembering like what they did on Madness and not really so much gossip, but then maybe not entirely all the way through how it feels to be lost. And what I'm referring to is just the art of like making fucking songs that like are easily attachable to a listener's brain and in all the right ways. Because with this title track, you get like, you know, some really cool moments lyrically and sonically. I think the chorus is really fucking catchy. Everything is kept really simplistic, but it is the prowess that Sibir Sirens have been able to obtain in simplicity that makes this song really quirky and fun and just entertaining to listen to, enjoyable to get to hear. And I feel like that can be spread to the other singles like Control, Alt, Delete, and Let You Down, Bloody Knuckles. Like, there is just something happening here with Sleeping Sirens, and maybe it's like they just figured it out, or figured it out again, rather, because they had it, and then they lost it, and I feel like now they're reaching back to the heights they have had as far as, like, musicianship goes. Um, this rollout so far has been a fucking dub, and I don't think they've missed at all. Not a single fucking step has been wrongfully taken for Complete Collapse, and when this record drops October 14th, I'm probably going to get some nasty agendas off about how this might be the best Sleeping Sirens record yet. I know I just spoke about Gatherers last week. I get to do it again because there is a record announcement along with a brand new single of theirs. Gift Horse featuring Jeff Rickley from Thursday. The aforementioned album is called Mutilator and it is dropping on November 18th. And in relation to Gift Horse, I am going to use a lot of what I said last week about uh, Black Marigold, the prior single from Gatherers, because it carries over uh, many of the same elements here that really like, uh, like grimy and gross and dirty DIY type of a sound happening with Gatherers music is still present on Gift Horse. And I think there is this weird relationship between those elements of gatherers and just the ability to be catchy and have so much emotion packed into a track because this song is just in some ways beautiful while still being very grotesque and i think that is a testament to the ability of gatherers and the way that they're able to craft these songs in the malevolent images that they have set already um jeff rickley's feature is amazing I, I don't really get to speak about thursday a lot on this show but um they are pillars to say the least 
That was the doorbell sound. If you can hear it in the background, I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, Gatherers, Gift Horse, uh, Mutilator out November 18th. This is going to be a big fucking deal for me. Magnolia Park Deadass dropped a song called Addison Ray, and it is a fucking heater. In all honesty, I find myself sometimes becoming tired of Magnolia Park, and that's has nothing to do with the music itself. Uh, it's entirely due to their online presence and the persona that they built on Twitter, the way that they utilize their account to like shit post and just be a weird meme account. I don't really fuck with that. But every time I feel like I have become detached from Magnolia Park, they drop something that is able to get me wrapped around their fingers yet again. Addison Ray is no different, and there are a lot of elements of the song that should have made it a failure, the name being uh, one of those. Uh, nothing wrong with Addison Ray or whatever, but just like, it is weird. And it's a little bit like formulaic, I guess, uh, to be honest and truthful. Like, there's something really unique about the song, but I cannot act like Magnolia Park didn't just fucking nail pop punk with this track and how easily singable and catchy that hook is she's got blonde hair just like addison ray it's like a fucking um like an infiltrator in my brain it's just something that hasn't been able to leave my memory in the last few days and i don't want it to because this song is amazing i really enjoy musically and sonically what magnolia park are able to do and i would like to be able to focus on that moving forward instead of the cringe that they post online the final single that I'll be giving its own spotlight to for the episode comes from Sincerely and it features Adventure. The song is called That's What You Said Last Time. This was actually my first time ever listening to Sincerely. I didn't know about them prior to having them be like propelled into my stratosphere thanks to the feature on Spotify where you're given like uh, these notifications about new songs from bands that you follow. And in this instance, I follow Adventurous. That's why I was even uh, made aware of this track. So if you go to Sincerely's Instagram, uh, part of their description says DIY groovy slash melodic slash mathy-ish band uh so they're describing swancore and i said some things about the genre a few weeks ago because of just you know things that have happened recently that everybody knows about that i don't want to get into and why i feel like it was the right move for me to kind of space myself from swancore for the time being um having said all of that this song is fucking incredible. I, I really enjoy the sort of like um like persona or or death parade type of a vibe I am getting from the track and just how easily every strange and quirky element of this track is able to blend perfectly together and make this amalgamation that has so many uh like areas that maybe shouldn't work, but the prowess of sincerely and then even adventure uh at that point it just brings everything together so, so well, and I really enjoy this song. It's kind of become more frequently played as the days have passed since last Friday. 
Um, could this have made Scenic Overlook if I made the fucking rankings right now? I don't know. Maybe. I, you know, I'll never know that. But I'm getting my chance right now to tell all of you guys about this song because I really, really, really enjoy it. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Don't Say by Always Never. My Own Device by Archetypes Collide. No More by Jip is So Pretty. Dreaming by Glimmers. I Don't Feel Anything Now by Isotopes. Out the Grave by Josh A. The Fall of Reach by Killstreak. Dead Letter by Kingsman. Sink With Me by Landon Torres featuring Blanket. Backfired by Lado. Say by Red Hook. Deathbed by Soul Waker. Perfect Crime by Terra. New Order by The Gloom in the Corner featuring Ta- Taylor Barber. I almost said Tom Barber. Taylor Barber from Left to Suffer. Misery Take Me by Throat featuring Frankie Palmieri from Emure. Reality Bites by Tilly. Thorns by Walwyn. No Future, Yeah Right by Yumi at 6 featuring Rue Reynolds from Energikari. And Kinda Over It by Young Culture. So those were all the singles. Really strong singles week, actually. Um, but I, I think it is overshadowed by the quality of the records put out and just how um, maybe unfair it is uh, for this platform because these are records from three acts that mean so 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 fucking much to me and i'm going to try my best to like really really relate to all of you why these artists just have the the spots in my heart that they do and i'm gonna start with the follow-up to my 10th favorite record from last year and it is the debut lp by maggie lindemann called sucker punch So I feel like for the people who know me on at least somewhat of a personal level know that there are certain artists over the last few years who I will not shut up about. And there's just something about these artists that really, really speak to who I am as a person and the kind of music that I like revolve my life around. So, you know, bring me the horizon, poppy lights uh more recently static dress like these are the acts that i can just go on and on and on and on and on about and i think all of you have been able to see in the progression of ulterior the level to which i quote unquote stan maggie lineman and i don't really really know like why that is outside of me enjoying her music because i enjoy plenty of people's music but for whatever reason there is this element to Maggie that I just feel like it gives me this responsibility to get on here and try to convince all of you that this is really what she sounds like because I can kind of understand like maybe Maggie isn't so appealing to everybody in the scene. Maybe her brand of pop punk revival isn't what you guys are looking for, but just please allow me this time and space to at least if if I'm not able to convince you why she's good, allow me to explain why I think she is good. So I had heard about Maggie a couple of years ago, but didn't really, really pay attention to what she was doing because it was not really within the boundaries of what I was looking for musically. Um, her biggest hit is Pretty Girl. I think it came out like in 2016 or 2017, and it 
it did fucking numbers. It was a really, really big deal. But I think what happened later on was Maggie had the chance to kind of uh, like break away from pop music and go into something more within her realm and something that she really wanted to do. Because I remember reading an interview and it might have been recent that this happened, but like this interview where she said that um, the first like screamo band, if you want to call it that, that she was exposed to was Alisana and like that opened this world for her. And um, I think you can hear like the, the scene influence in her later project, which was the 2021 EP paranoia. Uh, that's what I was referencing when I mentioned my number 10 record for last year, paranoia. I gave it the 10 spot. I feel like I got across everything I needed to in that year-end episode about why Paranoia was such a big deal for me. And it was a record that I discovered it in January that year when it dropped. And for a record to go all the way from January through December and never once lose the impactful nature that it initially had on me, that is remarkable. There are so many songs from Paranoia that I kept in my rotation and like just to this day, still mean as much to me now as it did when I first heard them. Uh, different, Knife Under My Pillow, Crash and Burn, Scissor Hands. Like, there are some fucking gems on that EP. And I think this woman had it figured out when not many people were really paying attention to what she was doing. And in the almost two years now since Paranoia released, I would like to think that Maggie has been able to showcase her abilities to a wider audience. And that audience growing to the point where, you know, Sucker Punch can hopefully do the numbers that Paranoia maybe didn't initially. So with Sucker Punch, the rollout for this would have technically began last October when Maggie dropped She Knows It. She Knows It was my third favorite song of 2021. I stand by that. I stand by how much I enjoy She Knows It. I stand by all of my reasonings for enjoying it to the magnitude that I do, you know, for better or for worse. And just the the way that I feel like Maggie is able to speak to me in a way that not every band I would like to speak to me, it, what am I trying to say? Maggie's music speaks to me in a way that I wish more bands could. That's what I was trying to say. That's what I was getting at. I didn't really phrase it properly the first time. Um, and so you go from She Knows It into How Could You Do This To Me, which features Kellen Quinn from Sleeping Sirens, the fucking feature merchant of the year, other than Julian, who we're going to get to later from Loveless. Um, so that song is not so different from She Knows It in the sense of like, it's a pretty standard, straightforward pop punk song in this day and age, but the level of just emotion that it packs, I, I feel like it's able to kind of cross those generic boundaries and just really make this piece of art that morphed itself into my heart it's, it's a really really strange thing to try and explain and maybe it has to do with time and place because that song came out at the end of april when i was going through a lot of shit personally and it, it just kind of stuck with me for a lot of reasons pertaining to that i feel like what the singles rollout did from thereafter was kind of utilize different tools and techniques within Maggie's arsenal, per se. So you had Break Me featuring Sick Brain, which in some ways, I guess, would be like the spiritual successor to Gaslight, which also featured Sick Brain off of Paranoia, and how uh, with Break Me, you get this like almost like an industrial electronic type of vibe that you can't find anywhere else on the record. Uh, You're Not Special has one of the 
most just like cutting uh vocal performances or vocal moments rather than i've heard all this year i'm starring in your movie but you're not that special to me and even when you look at the rest of the singles i feel like there is this apparent connective thread amongst everything happening here lyrically so with self-sabotage you get a line in the chorus like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy i know i'm gonna fuck it up for you and me and then in the chorus for cages I don't live for you, I live for me, can't shut me up, you'll hear me scream, whoa, lions aren't meant for cages, let me live my life, don't need approval, not from you, don't need your take on what I do, whoa, lions aren't meant for cages, let me live my life, let me live my life. It's very angsty, and I can admit that. It's very like, um, you know, it's not a phase, mom, it's very, don't label me, um, you know, j- just sort of like a rebellious teenage themes that is very, very prominent on Sucker Punch, and that that does add, like, this additional layer of, why do I fuck with this so much? And I can admit, like, I have these moments hearing this record where I'm like, why does this speak to me? I'm fucking 27 years old. Like, why are these lyrics that, uh you know, are so grounded in teenage angst, why are they, like, circulating my heart the way that they do? And it's because, like, you know, I I feel like, to an extent with everybody, when you're in this music scene, and specifically for as long as I have been, you kind of just, a a part of your heart stays in that aged, um, you know, time frame. I still feel the the themes that were hitting me when I was a teenager, I still feel them to to an extent, in a way. It's a weird thing to try to get across, but... I feel like that is the crux of my argument for why some of this content is hitting me the way that it does. Um, and even, you know, like, just to kind of come to the defense of the material, it's angsty, but I feel like there is aggression here. There is some form of this raw caliber that speaks to what I look for in music nowadays. I feel like Maggie is able to take these admittedly tired and formulaic concepts for pop punk and just really morph them into something memorable and unique to herself and her entire brand of pop punk revival whatever you want to call this shit i do feel like this record kind of journeys through maggie's personal influences because i know i mentioned like alisana earlier in regards to her uh preference and taste for scene music she's mentioned avril lavigne before and i know you know, the comparisons with Paranoia were made to Paramore because people cannot understand that, you know, there are female artists out there other than Haley Williams. But I digress. Uh, so things like that. And then just other influences from her, like Bring Me the Horizon, Sleeping with Sirens. You kind of get some form of this amalgamated tribute throughout her material because with songs like Take Me Nowhere and Casualty of Your Dreams, all the pop punk stuff is there, the pop rock stuff, sure. But there is something to the production and Maggie's execution vocally that kind of spells out like, you know, a a, a scene kid per se. Um, Something like I'm So Lonely With You, that one is a little bit more experimental in some areas. You get a little bit more of like this electronic flair. But I think with the chorus in particular, you have like uh, this instance of like a really thunderous moment on the record and it's surrounded by these other little areas on the track that are more muted and more quiet and it's really 
a way to kind of go through Maggie's mind and see like the various areas in which she has been inspired from the scene. She's very good at creating these memorable atmospheres for her tracks. And what I mean by that is that on songs like Phases and Novocaine, you have the signature explosive choruses of Maggie, but they're surrounded by these really well-built verses that kind of just, you know, embrace different areas of her her avenues or her endeavors per se. Like some hip-hop influences, some pop influences, some electronic stuff mixed in, but everything is so well put together at the end of the day that it doesn't sound like Maggie is really stepping outside of her boundaries or her comfort zone way too much. Like, this woman has crafted a comfort zone that just spans the fucking, the edge of the earth, really. Um, one of the coolest instances on this record, in my opinion, is a song we never even dated. It is this acoustic track that is just among the most heartfelt moments on the entire record. Tell your girlfriend that I hate her too because you never looked at me the way that you looked at her like you're sure with heart in your eyes. Why am I so surprised? So I'll delete your number. Pretend you don't exist. Tell myself it's nothing, but we both know it is. If you ever called me to tell me you want me, then I'd tell you too. Again, it kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Teenage angst up the ass and it, it speaks to me for whatever fucking fucked up reason. I, I cannot deny the quality of the record the impact that it has been able to have on me, and even with the other two records that are still to come on this episode, even with them existing and having the effect on me mentally and emotionally and spiritually the way that they have, Maggie, with Sucker Punch, was still able to shine through in every conceivable, imaginable way. She made a record that is going to stick with me for a very, very long time, and I'm so, so happy about that considering just how much I was anticipating Sucker Punch. And, like, I feel vindicated in some way because I, you know, have spent almost the entirety, actually not even almost, straight up the entirety of this podcast's existence, one of the high points has been Maggie. Because the very first episode, chapter one of Ulterior, make it a podcast, the show, whatever the fuck this thing is called now, or whatever it was called in the past, the first episode the top artist of January 2021, number one was Maggie because I was so thrilled with Paranoia and I just had this immeasurable belief in this woman to continue crafting some of the best songs I have heard in recent memory and I think that is exactly what she did with Sucker Punch and even fucking more. Okay, so that was Sucker Punch. That was Maggie Lindemann. God, what a record. What an artist. Holy shit. I really get to live on the same planet as Maggie Lineman. That's crazy. <sighs> okay. Let me collect myself for a second. The next record is a nine-song EP with some covers on it, which is a formula for her usually failure or disappointment. But in this instance, it is perfection. End of an era by Loveless. So I've mentioned Loveless more than a handful of times on this show before, and 
it is for good reason because I feel like Loveless fit right in with almost everything that I said about Maggie in terms of like a relatively new artist or artists in this case who just like they emerge and it's like they've been here the whole time. Like there was no learning curve for them. There was no period of, oh, they're trying something out, but they'll figure it out later on. They'll get it eventually. Since the day they showed up, Loveless have fucking gotten it, dude. Um, the first song that they ever put on Spotify was better. It dropped April 17th, 2020. If I had heard this song on that day in 2020, my life would be different. And that's no cap. Like, I'm not exaggerating. Like, that song, having entered my space back then, would have changed some portions of my life. That's a dramatic thing to say, but it's genuinely how I feel. Um, the reality is that I didn't even hear better until, uh, the album Loveless One dropped, uh, June 4th, I believe it was 2021. And I didn't get the chance to talk about that record on like a weekly episode because, uh, the album came out at a time where I took a step back from podcasting regularly because of the shit that I was going through in my life and just different things of that nature. I've spoken to nauseam about this topic before, so I'm not going to, uh, you know, bore you guys with it again. Essentially, what happened was uh, May 18th, 2021, my cat Mikasa passed away. It was very sudden and just unexpected and not anything that I was well-equipped well well to deal with at the time. And truthfully, I'm still not. Um, so that was May 18th. This album came out June 4th. A couple days later, June 7th was when I went to the Humane Society here in San Antonio to adopt the, or two of the cats that I have now, Levi and Armin. And I remember listening to Better in the car ride to the Humane Society, and that intro line to the chorus was just like embedded in my brain. I think I hate the pressure, but I measure it to know that it's real. I was nervous as fuck to go adopt these kittens. And that line again, I think I hate the pressure, but I measure it to know that it's real. That feeling of anxiety and nervousness and fearfulness and everything else, I was feeling those emotions because it was real. Like the, uh, the aspirations that I had to be a cat parent and continue on after everything that happened to me, it was all real, genuine, raw emotion. And I think better did this immaculate job at capturing what I couldn't really put into words. And for that reason, Loveless kind of became a band that had a really special place in my heart, even if like the material wasn't quality. But thankfully, the material is indeed fucking quality because I thought Loveless One was a really, really good record. And then the singles thereafter, which ended up being part of End of an Era, Loveless just uh, displayed a level of consistency and prowess almost immediately. Like, again, there was no point where I thought Loveless had potential. They have lived up to just everything that I ask for bands to live up to, and I really, really, really fucking admire that. So then you get into End of an Era, and I probably take the piss out of cover bands more often than I don't on this podcast. Um... And it, it's nothing against Our Last Night or Fame on Fire or uh, From First to Eleven or anybody else that, you know, uh, partakes in covers. It's just sometimes I don't really think it speaks to what 
I am personally looking for in music. So having said that, um, there are two covers on this record. Middle of the Night, originally by L.A. Douai, and then Running Up That Hill, originally by Kate Bush. Um, these covers are special. They are really, 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 really fucking cool. Um, I have just burned through both of these songs by this point, and I, I say that with no shame at all. Middle of the Night, it, it's a really cool, you know, alternative rock take on what is primarily a pop song by Ellie Doy, and the way that Julian is able to use his voice, it, it just crafts this sound that feels so unique to just loveless and i know you know some people probably thought that this was an original song i remember julie making some tweet about like do i look like someone who gets laid in relation to the question about like hey did you write middle of the night um obviously no he didn't it was a cover and this tweet was pretty funny honestly and running up that hill so this was made back in the summer when Everybody was a Stranger Things merchant, and that song kind of had like a new life instilled into it because of the show. I honestly don't know the full story from memory, but I know that they uh, they recorded the cover, or, or they played the cover somewhere for something, and from then on were kind of, uh, let's say, pressured into making uh, a studio version of it, and... The end result of that was one of their biggest songs so far. It's amassed like millions of streams and plays and it's a really, really big fucking deal. And I'm happy that Loveless were able to achieve what they did with Running Up the Hill because I didn't need any more covers of that song to exist. I really think the placebo cover is like generational, but Loveless became the exception to the rule when it comes to cover songs. Um, amongst the original songs on End of an Era, there are three that I did review in the past. Sorry I'm a Downer, Killing Time, and If You Have My Voodoo at All, Give Me a Hug. So, I remember, there was a car horn in the back, I don't know if it picked up on the mic, if it did, I apologize. Um, I do a weird thing in my voice when I'm trying to, like, talk low, so, for that also, I apologize. Um, Sorry I'm a Downer, I reviewed it almost a year ago. I know it's been a year at this point because it came out the same day as Die For You by Bream the Horizon and Eternal Blue by Spirit Box and all the other cool shit that day. Um, that song I felt like really, um, carried over the concepts and the ideas of Loveless One to perfection because you have, like, that really just emo, catchy nature to the song and I feel like the same thing happened with Killing Time. Killing Time is... Uh, one of those songs that, you know, maybe sometimes I forget that it came out this year, but even then, it's gotta be one of my most streamed for the year. Like, I have listened to Killing Time so many fucking times. Um, Voodoo Doll. That one was an interesting song, and I do remember saying this back in May when it released, how it kind of feels a little bit more like rock and roll-esque than some of what Loveless normally do, but for that reason, it's given its own flair and identity that I cannot attach to anything else from this band. And I think that's really, really sick. And then that makes four songs that were brand new to this project last week. Um, the opening song, Is It Me? This is the perfect way to start off the EP. And I, I feel like it really embodies just about everything that you get from Loveless, you know, uh, emotion, 
uh, catchiness, singability, some of the most just infectious moments of the entire year for music. And I'm going to parlay that into talking about the chorus because I feel like that is one of the fucking most catchiest choruses of any brand of music all of 2022. Uh, worst case scenario has some similarities to Killing Time and Sorry I'm a Downer, but maybe with like this more like groove oriented and danceable nature to its delivery instrumentally. Um, the closing song, Everest, that feels so vibrant and it has this chorus that perfectly contrasts the verses in a way that slightly reminds me of Better, which is a song that I was gassing up just a few minutes ago or seconds ago, rather. Um, like just the way that, you know, the verses are like kind of slow, but not really slow. And then you get into a chorus that is explosive, but not overly explosive. It's just like the perfect balance of these contrasting themes that I think Loveless have just managed to nail with, with every bit of prowess every time they try something like this. And then the last song that I want to mention on here, just like I do, and I'm saving it because this probably is my favorite song off of the EP, if I'm being totally honest with all of you. Um, just like I do, it carries with it this uh, structure and emotional delivery that I want to say is comparable to, you know, records like To Better Days by Slaves or Having Myself by Too Close to Touch. It, it just carries with it that kind of a style. And it's a style that is so easy to fuck up. And I, I've heard bands, you know, do just that over the last number of years. But with Just Like I Do, it, it's everything to me. Like, this is exactly what I ask for if a band is going to utilize concepts such as the ones I just mentioned. And lyrically, it is admittedly, like, you know, a, a little bit corny, a little bit whatever. But... It's just done in a way that makes it so fucking undeniable to me. Do you feel alone just like I do? Do you hate the sound of your heartbeat too? Just really, really simple Tumblr ass shit. But, and maybe it's all a credit to Julian's voice and just how fucking majestic he sounds all throughout this EP. I think Julian is an S tier vocalist and is one of the faces of the scene right now as far as frontmen go. Um, End of an Era covers every single bit of ground that I think Loveless needed to venture for the EP in order to kind of push out something that really lets people know who they are outside of just middle of the night and running up that hill. This was as well and perfectly crafted of an EP as Loveless could have possibly put together. I am so happy with the end result of this. I am so fucking over the moon with these tracks, the new ones and the old ones. Everything here is just absolute fucking smash by Loveless. They they could not have put out a better EP, honestly. Like I I love this EP so much. It is kind of the world to me right now. Third album or third record rather the final one for the episode let's see how much shit i can get myself into talking about this record color decay by the devil wears prada
So I actually think this is like really, really cool that I get to talk about the Devil Wars Prada right after talking about Maggie Lindemann and Loveless because I feel like Maggie and Loveless, they cover the ground of scene music in the present day and where I want it to go into the future. And the Devil Wars Prada, they represent so much of my past and my background in the scene and where I came from. Um, so... I understand that sometimes I make myself seem old and I really, really date myself talking about the music that I listen to or have listened to. Um, I'm about to do that right now. And I want to just iterate this right now. I never do this to flex or anything like that. Who gives a fuck how old I am? Who gives a fuck how long I've been listening to this kind of music? It really, really doesn't matter. I just like to explain certain things to kind of give some background into like, what I know about certain topics, if any of that makes any sense. Um, so I first came across the Devil Wars Prada in 2007. And I would have been 12 years old at the time, I believe. Or what, what month was it? March or April? Shit, I might have been 11. That's crazy. Um, so Okay, I said earlier, let me see how much shit I can get myself into. Um, so, the reason that I came across the Devil Wars Prada in the first place was because at the time at school, there was a girl in uh, one of my classes who I had a crush on. And at, at the time, not really having the best social skills or any confidence to try and have a conversation with this girl, I just found her MySpace page. And I looked at it to try and get an idea of her personality and things like that. And her song at that particular moment was Dogs Can Grow Beards All Over, which is off of the first Devil Wars Proud album, uh, Beautiful Discord. And I just was completely fucking floored by that track. I already liked alternative music. Like I was already listening to uh, like Avenged Sevenfold, Betray You, Kill Switch Engage, my, uh, Escape the Fate, My Chemical Romance, whatever else was happening at the time. But getting exposed to the Devil Wars Prada, like, that was life-changing. Genuinely, like, I uncovered a band that would go on to mean more to me than maybe 95% of bands I've ever heard in my life. And it just everything about the Devil Wars Prada, like, at that time, really, really just grasped my heart. And I understand nowadays, you know, for somebody who's just getting into Devil Wars Prada, whether it be through Color Decay or the act or anything more recent, it's a little bit difficult to explain to somebody in that position, like why a song like Dogs and Girl Beers All Over meant the world to me, or why a record like Plagues, which came out later on in that year, 2007, why that was like, you know, the fucking pinnacle of post-hardcore to me. But I can't really explain that without adding in the time and the place and the factor and all that. The Devil Wars Prada has been there for me since I was a literal fucking teenager. And being 27 years old now, three years away from 30, they still mean the world to me. And those songs back then, those records, they are still like some of the coolest things I've ever heard in my life. I go back to Plagues and with Roots Above weekly. Like, um, I have a tattoo on my left hand and it is this tree with a, a heart hanging from it and there are a couple of different musical things throughout my life that are represented in that tattoo one of them being with roots above i owe 
so, so, so much to the Devil's Prada and what they were able to do for me growing up, what they're able to do for me now as I continue to mature, quote unquote mature. Um, it's a process, guys. I promise. Um, they've just been that band. And there was probably a point in time where I would have considered them to be my favorite band at, at, at that moment in the world. You know, the period between Avenged Sevenfold and Bring Me the Horizon, it truthfully probably was the Devil Wars Prada off of Plagues and with Roots Above and then you get into Zombie and just everything about the band at that time, like, I needed that. I really, really fucking needed that. And from there, like, I, I don't want to say I fell off of Prada, but I would be lying if I said that I had the same attachment to Death Throne and 818 and uh, Transit Blues that I did to uh, Plagues and with Roots Above. It, it's good metalcore, but for a band with as much history with myself as a Divorce Prada, I was looking for more than just good metalcore. And it ended up taking the band venturing away from that type of a sound to really grab me once again and make me stop what I was doing and just think like, wait, what is this? What is happening? And that's essentially my story with the act, which was the 2019 record. We're coming up on the three-year anniversary of that of that album pretty fucking soon. And I I still feel like there is a part of me that like a switch went off, like th just a, a change um, when I heard the act. And it was because I couldn't have ever imagined this like post-hardcore or screamo band that I grew up with managing to find a way to mature their sound as I was maturing as an adult. That's a weird thing to say, but like, it was this moment of like, where the fuck has this been? Why did this take so long to achieve? But regardless of those questions, I am thrilled that this happened. And with the act, like, look at the uh, that three-song stretch of Chemical, Wave of Youth, and Please Say No. And just that stretch alone really, really paints the image of what the Devil Wars Prada sounded like at the time and what they were venturing towards now. The first single for Color Decay dropped almost a year ago at this point, and it was Sacrifice. I'm going to mention Sacrifice in conjunction with Watchtower because I feel like those two songs really did this amazing job at laying the groundwork for Color Decay at the time without even really knowing that that is what was happening. Um, just the way that those songs... They retain a lot of the ferocity of the Divorce Prada when the band gets heavy, and then the emotion that pours out of them in the chorus and the amazing clean singing done by Jeremy and just how, you know, like, it, it feels like all of this time later, we're still seeing new sides to Prada that maybe we didn't know existed, or at least didn't know they exist in this manner and capacity. And it's just so, like... I feel privileged getting to hear these tracks. Um, Salt was the song where Color Decay was announced alongside of Salt came out back at the beginning of June. And I didn't do a weekly episode when Salt dropped because it was uh, the week of like Motionless and White Mood Ring and those kinds of records. And I just um, had some stuff going on and I didn't feel like talking about music at the time. I, I, I didn't really get to give Salt its spotlight that it had deserved and earned. So I'm going to try and do that briefly right now. 
Um, I feel like Salt is the kind of song where in the future, when I look back on 2022 and what my life was going or what was going on in my life and what scene music sounded like at the time or like what kind of music was really, really capturing my attention, one of the first songs I'm going to think about is Salt. I'm not saying it's the best song of the year. I'm saying it is one of the most important songs of the year. And I think Salt, at the end of the day, after having heard Through Color Decay time and time again, Salt is just one of the most impressive things I have ever heard out of the Devourist Prada. I fucking love the way that the song has a first chorus that is like really, really scaled back. And then you go into the instrumentation again, and then you come back to that chorus later on, and now it's complete. Now you get the rest of the band joining in the chorus, and it's just one of the most rewarding moments on the entire record. Uh, Time would have been the last single for the record before its release week, if that makes any sense. Um, Something that I really enjoy about Time is in a later section of the song where there's like a breakdown, but it's not really a breakdown. It's not overtly heavy in any way. Um... And how that kind of just transitions so seamlessly into the chorus. And it's just like this showcasing of the Devil Wars Prada really understanding to a fucking T who they are right now and what they were looking to achieve with Color Decay. Um, There was a lot weighing on my mind when I was going in to hear this record for the first time. So I heard it on my lunch break at work last Friday and... If it were up to me, I wouldn't have listened to it at work, but I really needed to hear it, like, relatively soon from when it released. Um, And I said I wouldn't have liked to have heard it at work because I feel like Color Decay is such a personal and vulnerable album that you kind of need to put yourself in that same spot in order to fully intake the material and what is being said to you on the record. So... You know, I would have much preferred to have heard it when I was alone at my apartment or just whatever. But, you know, you do what you got to do sometimes. And in my case, I really did need to hear this. Um, So maybe I did rob myself of the perfect first, first experience. But regardless, that first experience is something that I don't think I'm ever going to forget for as long as I live. Because there was so much happening on this record that, like... That first listen, it wasn't enough. So I heard it on lunch and then I had to go back to work. And then when I got home that day, I listened to it again. And then I heard it again that night and then again into the next morning. And just the the level of attention that is needed for this record is fucking astounding. And it's something that I couldn't imagine anybody who listens to this album not having the desire to explore. Um, the album starts with Exhibition, and Exhibition is one of the best opening songs I have heard all year. It has like this kind of almost like a pop punk style chorus, and it's not a, like the the right way to phrase it, but that's just like kind of what it sounded like, at least in comparison to the rest of the material on Color Decay. Um, the, the chorus also kind of being like the introduction to the album in a way. Welcome to the way down. Keep on telling, selling me a way out. Welcome to the way down. I think that is uh, amazingly apropos as the first line in a chorus for Color Decay. Because you're definitely taken on some form of a journey that can be described as a way down on this record. 
Um, noise has more moments of mixing heavy chaos with beautiful anguish. And I think that kind of speaks to what is happening overall with Color Decay. You know, it can be heavy and it can also be beautiful, but that beauty is laced with this pain and just some of the most just gut-wrenching moments musically all year long. Broken did get singles treatment earlier in the week of the release, so I kind of didn't really include it as like part of the singles discourse, but regardless, Broken is one of the most heartbreaking, no pun intended, songs I've heard all year long. And just like, considering what record this exists on, I feel like that is really, really saying something. My hands are torn up from all these broken bottles. I can't stand. I lost too much. I know I got my problems. Broken just has that ability to like, just rip your face off at times and put it back and rip it off again and put it back. And it's all done through these moments that are like kind of heavy and then kind of soft. And it's just so fucking, um, like mind fucking in a way. Uh, Trapped has a really amazing buildup to a chorus that does its job at further using Color Decay's concepts and themes to rip me apart, like I mentioned with Broken. Like, at that point in the record, I'm just thinking to myself, like, what the fuck is this? And I mean that in, like, the most endearing way possible, because, like, there is no way for me to perfectly describe right now, a week later, what Color Decay sounds like, what it's been able to do for me, because I feel like the level that this record is influencing me is going to be lifelong, discovery-wise. Like, I can't just, like, pinpoint all that in a week, and I hope you guys understand that. Um, 25 is one of the slower songs on the record, but it packs just as much emotion as anything else, and when I listened to it for the first time, like, what I mentioned earlier about listening to it at work, 25 was kind of a moment where I stopped and I was like, do I really want to hear this record here? Like, is this really the right time and the place? But, you know, it, it just had that kind of an, uh, an effect on me, an impact. By April, the snow was melting, and I thought you'd give another try, but it was past now, gone for good now, no longer 25, no longer 25. Um, Fire. Th this is an experimental track that lets the Divorce Prada show off another side to them, and that side on this track, it's not totally far off from what a band like Bring Me the Horizon does when they kind of allow themselves to be experimental as well. Um, the, the focus on electronics, the way that the band is able to retain their identity, even when taking on a different sound, it is something that I think is like real testament to a talented band, like a super fucking talented band. And that is exactly what the Divorce Prada is. Um, the penultimate song, Hallucinate, it has like a, like a heavy-ish chorus mixed in with some electronic-based verses, and it's kind of like the last moment on the record to really let yourself just like have that moment to relish in something and the way that it sounds. Um, and, and I say that is the last moment because you get into the closing song, Cancer, and I do not know how you can hear Cancer and just not want to just fucking disappear and melt into the ground wherever you are when you hear this song. Um, there's a lot that I can say about cancer. Like, a lot. I'm going to reserve some of those thoughts because since this was number one for Scenic Overlook this week, 
it's going to be talked about again in December for the top 100 songs episodes. And I feel like that is a more appropriate time and place to really discuss what cancer means to me, where I or like where my mind goes hearing the song, what I perceive some of the lyrics to tell. Um, what I will say, at least for right now, cancer is one of the most heartbreaking, heartfelt, stomach-turning, thought-provoking songs I have ever heard in my life. Cancer made me think things that I never thought I could think of because those thoughts feel inhumane in some ways. It's a really, really, really just tough topic of conversation to navigate and I want to make sure that I fully understand what I'm saying and what I feel and believe by the time I get the chance to really go in-depth further on cancer in December. Um, this is, and I'm talking about cancer still right now, not the record as a whole, just cancer. This is an accomplishment for the Devil's Prada. This is one of the just milestones of their careers. This is one of the best closing songs I have heard on any record at any point in my life. Cancer is just the fucking, uh, you, you know, um, on exhibition, it said, welcome to the way down. Cancer isn't the way down. Cancer is fucking hell. Um, and, and there's a moment towards the end of the song where the chorus is repeated and it's like done acoustically. And there's like this voice effect that it doesn't sound human. It, it's just like this weird, like tired monster in a way. And I feel like to me, it sounds like the artwork is singing to me. Like, the artwork that's been shed of any color, hence the name Color Decay, any color, any resemblance of life, any resemblance of humanity, that is who is speaking to me at the end of Cancer. And it is just the the best way I have ever heard a record tie all of its loose ends by its conclusion. What the Devil Wars Prada did on Color Decay was reinvent themselves fucking almost 20, 20 years, two decades after their inception and it is remarkable for a band to be able to do that and to be able to do that in the way that the divorce product did by having the sound that they do on color decay color decay feels like it takes what was like you know fully envisioned on the act and it doesn't just let that vision reach fulfillment it just like takes itself to the fucking heavens in a way that makes it sound hellish this record does not know heaven, nor hell, nor purgatory. It just knows the act of hurting you to the point that you cannot look away. You cannot pull your ears away from color decay because it is just something that once it's in your mind, once it is wrapped around all of your brain cells, you cannot think about anything else. You cannot perceive life in the same way. There is pre-color decay and post-color decay. And pre-color decay was fucking tormenting. Post-color decay is going to be as tormenting. But the difference is that I now have color decay. I feel like I have a handbook, a manual, an instruction, a guide to get me through some of what I've been needing to get through. And Color Decay is the fucking, um, it's a benchmark. That's genuinely what it is. Not just for the Devil Wars Prada, but for alternative music altogether. This is one of the best albums I've ever been able to review on Ulterior. One of the best albums I've ever heard in my life. 
And I do not know a method of being able to shut the fuck up about color decay. And that was it. That was every album and EP and single from last week for me to review. And I took up a lot of fucking time. I apologize. But at the same time, I really needed to get my thoughts across on these records and singles because I had a lot to say. And I feel like I still didn't say everything that I should have. But the time and the place will come for me to get to do that. Okay. Um, I'm going to go spend some time. Some, I'm, I'm stumbling over my words now. I'm going to go spend some time with my cats because I'm going to be gone most of the day that I upload this episode because I'm going to go see I Prevail and Pierce the Veil and Fifer King and yours truly. And it's going to be one of the most fucking crazy experiences of my life, dude. What the hell have I got myself into? Um, yeah. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.